Welcome back to episode 63 of the Professor Penn podcast. David Penn here bringing you Purple Rain. This is 63 is Purple Rain. And we're going to start out here because um, I made a reference in the last podcast to Prince's favorite, you know, famous song, Purple Rain. And I said I never knew what he was talking about. And one day I came out of the mall with my beautiful young daughter who's now driving me crazy as a student at a major uh, research institution. I wish she wasn't there, but, you know, she's a very smart girl. And we came out, and it was raining, and the sky was purple. And my point in talking about this is um, <clears throat> you have to see it for yourself. I, I really never understood what purple rain was. I really did think it was some kind of veiled sexual reference that I didn't understand, and perhaps it still is. Who knows what was in Prince's mind? But I'd never seen a purple rain. Tanner, have you ever seen Purple Rain? No, I have not. Not good, that I can know. Good morning to you. Good morning. I'm glad to see you. You know, I think that's really, I mean, if you've seen it, if you're in the live chat and you've seen this before, uh, you know, I just never seen it. And I saw it one time and I've never seen it since. And it's a rare occurrence in my life. <clears throat> but my point is, <clears throat> there are things that we have to see for ourselves. And uh, I just wanted to put that up because it's so uh, powerful. And in that vein, could you please play this piece that I have titled Michael Yan to start? This is the great Michael Yan, a six-minute piece about what's going on on our border. It's very interesting. I made this in Hong Kong in 2019 before the communists kicked me out in 2020. They just wanted to be free, but most Americans and Europeans refused to stand up. Many of the munitions used in Hong Kong came from the United States. I told the Hong Kongers to photograph and publish everything. Then the munitions stopped coming from the United States. I followed many blood trails looking for casualties. People generally go to corners or ATM booths or walls. That's where I found many of the casualties. Part of the strategy that the Chinese communists used to take over Hong Kong was just persistent migration, year in and year out, until they had the critical mass to go for it. And then the West did nothing. Most of the West did nothing at all. And many British who served on the Hong Kong police force were just doing their job, sir. The British traitor! The British traitor! That's the great Michael Yan himself. Just doing your job, sir. And if you're a U.S. Border Patrol and you continue to load those buses to invade the United States, you're not doing your job. You're a traitor. It's time to do your duty and stop 
the weaponization of migration. We are being destroyed. A Border Patrol friend just sent this note. Please pause and read it, and then we will proceed with more. We have shut down all Costa enforcement Rica just operations. declared a state of emergency due to the invasion flows to their country. I'm down in Panama. This is the buttocks of a migrant woman who was raped and dragged. You won't believe the things that we see every day that I never tell you about. United States is the greatest funder of these things. These are the feet of a person. We see this stuff daily. It's normal. Came through the Darien Gap. They die out there. They're dying right now dozens per day. These are two little Haitian girls. Look at their eyes. Their mother was so sick. I don't know if she survived. This man said that he brought them in. Yeah, all the time. This was at Eagle Pass. I was on the Mexican side in Piedras Negras. This is on the New Mexico border, unused wall. This is a Chinese camp funded by American money. I call it China camp. That's it on the left. That was it in 2022 before Mayorkas came. This is it after Mayorkas came. Same camp. I was just down there again. I call it China camp. This is where the Chinese, this is the Chinese invasion camp to the United States. It's in Darien Gap. It's down in uh, Darien province. Look at that. Look how much it's grown. This is drone footage from recent. This is China camp paid for by American money. This is the camp that most of the Chinese use. And they get on buses from here. Within about 12 hours, they're in Costa Rica. And then within a week, they can be anywhere in the United States. We know that some are up in the United States within a week, immediately at gun ranges at times, posting video, getting driver's license immediately. That's it. This is a camp in Texas. Yep, we have these camps in Texas. It's about two in the route. morning here in uh, Darien Province, Panama. I'm looking at some of the uh, footage that we've taken over the last week in the jungle. Of course, I've spent many months down here in the Darien Gap over the last uh, two and a half years or so. And um, so you, you can see on this day, roughly 167 boats came in filled with, you can see how many people are there per boat. This is just one of the routes. Uh, many of the people are sick. Actually, Ben Berkwam and Oscar Blue are now very sick. Matt Tomlin is very sick. And Vandersteel is not sick. And I, you can tell I've got some very low-level symptoms. So, actually, Ben Berkwam and Oscar Blue and Matt Tomlin are very healthy men. Yet, when they've come out with these uh, aliens, they've, they've gotten sick three times now, the last three trips. Something's going wrong. And many of these aliens are fighting each other. Uh, even killing each other and raping each other at times. We don't know who they are. They're headed to the United States. Right now, coming through the Darien Gap, maybe three to 4,000 per day, uh, 82,000 last month, but that number is clearly increasing. So here it goes, uh, total uh, wartime invasion. The United States proudly flies our flag in these camps in the Darien Gap in Panama. This is destroying Panama and destabilizing Costa Rica and other countries, including the United States. All across Europe is being destabilized. That guy's from Vietnam. I saw him, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. This is uh, north of Houston. We made this from a helicopter with Dave Cannon. Uh, our burning edge operation has shined a lot of light and others have been working hard on this. Todd Bensman, incredible journalist. 
Uh, here's that note from my uh, Border Patrol friend. Have shut down all Camp enforcement operations. If you haven't read it, get on it. The time when you should most of all withdraw into yourself is when you are forced to be in a crowd. Scenes of war. Well, uh, you got to see it for yourself. Uh, you know, I played the beautiful image of Purple Rain because I, I wanted to show something I'd never seen before. And perhaps many of you have seen this and are aware of this. Maybe some of you are not. Tanner, did those images shock you? No, I'm going to be honest. Really? Yeah, I guess I've already seen images of the sort, so I kind of already knew. Really? Yeah. Are people in your age group aware of this? No. I, would, I wouldn't say so. At least the ones that I'm around, not generally. You just have a very inquiring mind. Yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, but what do we do with this? Uh, I want to thank Free People Radio for giving the Professor Penn Podcast a platform. We're truth-seeking media. What we're doing here is seeking the truth. Some of these images are very disturbing. And in fact, uh, one of the things that happens in the search for truth is we can be so off-put by the monstrosity of the images and of the painful realities that we won't go across that border to really see what's going on. You know, sometimes it's beautiful. It's purple rain. Sometimes it's these terrible images of what's happening in our country. PrecinctStrategy.com. Everything you need to know to get off the couch and get in the game of politics. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big supporter of Dan Schultz and what he's doing. But here in Minnesota, and really anywhere in the country, wherever you're watching me, I would like to see those of you who have that passion to get into these parties and really create choice and to increase American serenity and to expand the freedom of each citizen, to get in there and fight, to be part of free people of America, to make this country what it was intended to be in our Constitution and in our founding documents, such as the Declaration, where we have these unalienable rights. I would love it if you'd go into the parties and do that. Could I get one day a year for every American citizen to go to their local caucus and become a delegate and go to their convention and endorse the candidates of their choice and vote for the party officers of their choice such that we can pull this country back from the brink. Actually, we're past the brink. I, I have to make an admission. I'm a little mumble mouth today because I just didn't sleep at all last night. Not a wink. Yeah, I'm so aware of what's going on that sometimes I get into these places where I'm just filled with dread because I'm, I'm reading and studying and I'm going places and meeting people. And I know what this means for me. I'm not saying I know what it means for you, but I know what it means to me. And what it means to me is we are right on the brink of complete and utter destruction. And I'm just asking you to help me pull it back. We have to get rid of these people who are in charge of our government and who do not care about our well-being. 
Target.com. We have to pay for it. I mean, this operation costs a lot of money. So I make a, just a very straight appeal. If you're going to buy tires, if you buy them from us, you got to buy them from somebody. If you buy them from us, you're funding Free People Radio. You're funding the future of the movement, and we will appreciate your support. It's everything you need, every major brand tire, American-made tires, low-cost tires, service at your local st- you know, tire store. We'll send them right to your local dealer. It's everything you need, and, and you're contributing to keeping us on air. So thank you if you decide to support us. Let me pray. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. I want to just comment on something that happened uh, in the live chat on this past episode number 62. You know, I'm, I'm in that live chat and I'm getting to know uh, many of the people that are regular viewers and listeners. And I got in uh, to a, um, <laughs> a dialogue with uh, one of the regulars and um, we were arguing about the George Floyd thing because I said George Floyd was murdered. And uh, this particular viewer, and I hope he's back tonight because I do respect everyone's opinion, uh, and he, this particular viewer was you know, very upset with me for saying that. And I do want to comment on it from this perspective. Yes, I know George Floyd had drugs in, in his system. Yes, I know he could have died of a heart attack because of his drugs. Now, the comment was made that if a person is being choked out, they can't talk. That's not true. You can talk and cry and beg when you're being choked out. This I know for a fact. Uh, I want to get race out of it. Let's forget about George Floyd as a black man. Let's forget about the cop Chauvin as a white cop. Let's forget about criminals and police. Let's just look at two people in a physical encounter. The key in any physical encounter is efficiency and the minimum use of force. You know, if you can beat the living snot out of somebody and you don't need to, there's no honor in that. And why, you know, and murder, murder is an extreme term. There's first degree murder, there's second degree murder, there's manslaughter. 
Let's leave that out of it. That's all descriptions or taxonomies of man so that punishment can be assigned. I just want to talk about a man dying in a physical encounter. The man died. However he died, drugs, heart attack, he had heart problems, he had COVID in his system. You know, he died. The key is he died. The key is one man physically dominated another man, and he died. That's unnecessary. This is an issue of training. We ha- and I'm going to ask this viewer, please stay with me. Go back and look at the episode called Training. Training means you can restrain people and you can control people without killing them. If the goal is to kill people, hey, that's a completely different kind of an encounter. That's a military encounter. This was an encounter between two people. The goal was not, or at least allegedly, the goal was not for one man to kill the other. So something went very wrong. I just want to leave it at that level. And I don't want to argue with anybody about it because everybody's entitled to their, to their opinion. And that's why there's four street corners. And if someone believes that, you know, the prevailing sentiment or the legal sentiment or the legal conclusion was incorrect, that's cool. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong to have your opinion. I'm just trying to say, spending eight years of my life training with Minneapolis SWAT in the 90s, I know for a fact that control did not include killing people accidentally. The idea was control not accidentally killing somebody. So if people that are in combat are well-trained and they know how to do things in a way that protects and serves the citizens of Minneapolis, of Minnesota, of the United States of America, we don't have to have these kind of deaths. And uh, however the man died, let's say he died of a drug overdose. If I was arresting him, I would want to be cognizant of the fact that he might be high and I have to be careful not to kill him. And this is a skill, a skill thing and an intent thing. I'm taking some time to talk about it because I don't think we want to live in a society where the people that I pay, that I pay as an American citizen to protect our communities accidentally kill people or people accidentally die under their stewardship. We're American citizens after all, all of us. And I want to say, going back to the reality of the situation, when police are afraid, like all of us, they gap out. What is gapping out? Well, I highly recommend, have you ever gapped out? Are you like kind of talking, just seeing red or just going kind of like a blackout? Just like, yo, I can't, what did I just do? Yeah, you just act instinctually. Right. Has that happened? Yeah. Do you like how that feels? No. Great. You know, the problem we have is um, if you play football or you box or you get in your first fight, you know, you gap out. And if you're serious about being a human being, you realize we have gaps in us. And when we act out of the gap, we find out who we are real quick. You know, I remember the first time I gapped out was the last time I gapped out. I could have very easily killed that person, 
and uh, I put my my elbow right on their throat, and I was totally gapped out. I mean, I was not conscious, but I stopped. Had I gone through, I'd have destroyed that person's trachea and killed them. And I learned right there that even in the gap, I have some consciousness. But there are people that go into the gap and they're not conscious at all. Now, I'm very aware of my gap now. And I accept myself and I try to love myself. And uh, I'm aware that it's there. That's why I think it's important that young people, not just young men, but young people, when they're not at a stage where they can actually kill other human beings, are in situations where they are discovering who they are. And uh, I've discovered who I am, and you've discovered who you are, and I'm interested to see what the live chat says. But uh, when we gap out, we do goofy things, and our country is gapped out right now. I know this is a stretch, but when we're on the verge of nuclear war and our borders open and we're being invaded, and we have $33 trillion of debt, and we're in a recessionary uh, environment where the middle class, the middle market's being destroyed, and we're going to go watch football this weekend, we are being put into the gap by psychological masters who want to keep us gapped out so we don't get in touch with the reality of the world that is impinging upon our freedom and our safety. That's my preamble. So, you know, I just, I had to take that on and uh, I hope Alpha Romeo stays with us and I'm looking forward to your feedback. Let's move on and let's talk about the children of Abraham and artificial intelligence. Uh, before we get there, as or as a prelude to it, Tanner, can you pop up this clip? We'll meet again. I just, it sets the stage, sets the stage. Listener, these are images of uh, nuclear explosions. This is the last scene of Dr. Strangelove, which I come back to often. A great Stanley Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick film that was released in 1963. And if you haven't seen it, Dr. Strangelove, I urge you to go back and watch it. It is as timely now as it was then. To the folks that I know, tell them. I suppose there's people that think these nuclear explosions are beautiful. I think that's what Kubrick was trying to say to us, how monstrous this is, that the release of this power is so beautiful and so destructive simultaneously. That's good, thanks, Tony. That's it, thank you. So we're going to go into... uh, Benjamin Netanyahu at the United Nations, he gave a speech uh, about 10 days ago, and we're just going to listen to what he has to say about artificial intelligence. It's really quite stunning. Can you play that starting at 19 minutes in, please? (coughs) Ladies and gentlemen, whether our future will prove to be a blessing or a curse, 
will also depend on how we address perhaps the most consequential development of our time, the rise of artificial intelligence. The AI revolution is progressing at lightning speed. It took centuries for humanity to adopt to the agricultural revolution. It took decades to adapt to the industrial revolution. We may have but a few years to adapt to the AI revolution. The perils are great and they are before us. The disruption of democracy, the manipulation of minds, the decimation of jobs, the proliferation of crime, and the hacking of all the systems that facilitate modern life. Yet even more disturbing is the potential eruption of AI-driven wars that could achieve an unimaginable scale. And behind this, behind this perhaps looms an even greater threat, once the stuff of science fiction, that self-taught machines could eventually control humans instead of the other way around. The world's leading nations, however competitive, must address these dangers. We must do so quickly, and we must do so together. We must ensure that the promise of an AI utopia does not turn into an AI dystopia. We have so much to gain. Imagine the blessings of finally cracking the genetic code, extending human life by decades, and dramatically reducing the ravages of old age. Imagine healthcare tailored to each individual's genetic composition and predictive medicine that prevents diseases long before they occur. Imagine robots helping to care for the elderly. Imagine the end of traffic jams with self-driving vehicles on the ground, below the ground, and in the air. Imagine personalized education that cultivates each person's full potential throughout their lifetime. Imagine a world with boundless clean energy and natural resources for all nations. Imagine precision agriculture and automated factories that yield food and goods in an abundance that ends hunger and want. I know this sounds like a John Lennon song, but it could all happen. Imagine, imagine that we could achieve the end of scarcity, something that eluded humanity for all history. It's all within our reach. And here's something else within our reach. With AI, we can explore the heavens as never before and extend humanity beyond our blue planet. For good or bad, the developments of AI will be spearheaded by a handful of nations, and my country, Israel, is already among them. Just as Israel's technological revolution provided the world <coughs> provided the world with sorry provided the world with breathtaking innovations i'm confident that ai developed by israel will once again help all humanity i call upon world leaders 
to come together to shape the great changes before us, but to do so in a responsible and ethical way. Our goal must be to ensure that AI brings more freedom and not less, prevents wars instead of starting them, and ensures that people live longer, healthier, more productive, and peaceful lives. It's within our reach. And as we harness the powers of AI, let us always remember the irreplaceable value of human intuition and wisdom. Let us cherish and preserve the human capacity for empathy, which no machine can replace. Thousands of years ago, Moses presented the children of Israel with a timeless and universal choice. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. May we choose wisely between the curse and the blessing that stand before us this day. Let us harness our resolve and our courage to stop the curse of a nuclear Iran and roll back its fanaticism and aggression. Let us bring That's forth... That's good, thank you. Well, I play that for all of us with not a lot of hope. Uh, Israel's at the front edge of AI. I'm just going to make a comment that the song Imagine by John Lennon, which is actually a beautiful song, is a deeply um, atheistic kind of song. It's a song that was really unmooring the people from any faith in God. You know, imagine a world without religion. And uh, imagine a world without religion where, you know, man loves one another. Well. They, the track record, if past performance is any predictor of future outcomes, we're in deep shit. And what Netanyahu is asking for is for a gathering of global leaders to come together to regulate AI. So we're asking the people that are in the process of enslaving us to get together and regulate the very means of the enslavement. The whole thing is very disturbing. Uh, the best answer, the best answer from my perspective is self-governance. I don't need AI. I lived before there was fax machines, before there was cell phones. There was three black and white television stations when I was young, and life was good. We've gone down a technological road which has taken us to a place where we have our own destruction in front of us. And it will only be because we as American citizens get involved and take our survival seriously. I mean, my question to you is, do you want to live? I mean, really, we have to, we have to really think about this. Tanner, do you want to live? Why did I know you were going to ask me that? Well, I mean, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah obviously. Well, it's not obvious to me. Because well, look where we've taken ourselves. I mean, yeah, but that's, I don't, I don't think that that's more, at least my generations, I think it's most people, it isn't a conscious thought for most of us. It's because we've been left in the dark that we don't even realize that because of our absence, this is happening. 
So I guess our absence, you're on it. You're all over the top of this thing now. We've let these people rule us. We've traded our sovereignty, our personal freedom for convenience and safety. And life is not convenient, nor is it safe. We've been given a devil's bargain. Please trust us and we'll make your material life convenient and easy and we'll protect you. And we've given up the very means of our own self-governance. And I want to reclaim my self-governance. It's just that simple. We're going to have to do it or it's my opinion they're going to kill us. I'm sorry to say this to you. I didn't sleep last night. I was thinking about it. I'm not particularly eloquent today and I'm not full of a a bunch of energy about it. It's very concerning. And let's just take it right into where we're going here. It's the military-industrial complex that's been running this since 1913. That was during Wilson, President Wilson. That's when the Fed was founded. That's when our academic institutions became penetrated by the British intellectual tradition because that's when they formed the wise men that eventually became the Council on Foreign Relations in Chatham House and all of the Atlanticist institutions that brought the divorced parties, the United States of America, the former colonies, and the colonizer, the British, we reconciled and became the Anglo-American cartel. And that's the world we're living in today. So this, this place we're in, this has been worked on for a very, very long time. So there's been warnings. Let's play a warning from President Eisenhower. Famous speech. I bet all of you have heard it. But let's listen to it again just because it bears repeating. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could with time, and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development. Yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against 
the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Well, he said it all there. He said, uh, only in a, an awake, well, I don't, what was the exact words, an awake, engaged, what he was saying is self-governance. Only a self-governing populace that's paying attention can rein this thing in and maintain our freedoms. And of course, what did their uh, military-industrial complex establishment do? They developed the means and the power to put us all to sleep. So I can't sleep at night because I know what they're doing. And uh, I can't really even be articulate about it because these people are so evil. And they've co-opted so much of our society. Today, there's 2.1 million people that are directly employed in the defense industry. (laughs) A lot of them are in the Republican Party. Assholes. I mean, unmitigated pricks. Can't even talk to these people. They're brain dead. Their average annual salary is $106,700, which is 40% higher than what you and I are making in the national average. In fact, I didn't make any money this year. Lost money because we're supporting this war in the Ukraine. And when they say it's the average, there's a lot of people that have gotten very fat at the trough of creating the means of killing people. The companies that these 2.1 million people work for produced revenues in 2022 last year of $741 billion. That's B, billion. That's a lot. There's 750 U.S. military bases currently in more than 80 countries. Let me say this again. Right now today, today, as we sit here and talk to each other, you and I, we are funding with our tax dollars 750 U.S. military bases in more than 80 countries. Do you know? that you are living in an empire that makes Rome look like a postage stamp? Are we aware of who we are? When the Ayatollah Khomeini called the United States of America the great Satan, we all thought he was an ass. Hey, 750 U.S. military bases in more than 80 countries, and there are going to be people that are going to tell me, and there are people who tell me, that this is good. There are more than 100,000 U.S. military personnel stationed in Europe alone, and we're on the verge of war there, 100,000 soldiers. The annual salary and benefits going to U.S. military currently in our current budget is $146 billion per year. The The Department of Defense, see, there I go, losing my eloquence, The DOD employs more than 700,000 civilians in addition to active duty military. The compensation of those civilians 
exceeds $70 billion a year. There's an additional 560,000 contractors whose compensation is typically higher than any kind of career workforce. In other words, they make more money than you and me. Then you start to add together all the hundreds of thousands of executives and managers, employees, contractors of all the three-letter deep state agencies, CIA, NSA, DEA, FBI, DHS. I mean, this is what we're good at. We're not good at anything else. We're not, and that was always the deal, right? The Kissingerian deal was we'll outsource our production to China. We will be the consumer market. We'll finance it and we'll defend it because it's all based on the dollar. And we've done it. All we really do well here is build weapons of war. So that means we have to be at war to continually keep this machine working. And for example, just last week, the Czech government approved a plan to buy 24 U.S.-made F-35 advanced fighter jets. The deal is worth approximately $6.5 billion, 30% margin, probably made eh, $2 billion bucks on the deal. Somebody made $2 billion. $2 billion. And of course, you know, the Czechs are very happy about it because they claim it boosts, boosts their military capabilities and the integration with NATO. Getting ready for war with the Russians. Here's the quote. The first F-35s will be ready in 2029, and our pilots will start training with them in the United States at that time. This is the Czech government talking. It's crazy. Just crazy. Meanwhile, as all this is going on, Ukrainian President Jalinsky had an international conference inviting international defense industry executives because what they've decided to do is set up production inside the Ukraine. Hey, isn't that great? <laughs> Think local by local. Got a war there? Let's build the weapons right there. Hey, this is kind of a new thing for, uh, you know, uh, yeah, what do you call that? Uh, the co-op movement. It's like a co-op movement only for killing people. It's great. And all this is going on, and we're watching football, and uh, we're watching the World Series, and we're going and getting high and going to the bar and driving around like everything's just great. In the meantime, we're living in an empire. Our freedoms are abridged, and we're on the verge of complete and utter chaos. And all I'm asking for is one day a year. So if you love your family, if you love your own life, if you love God, if you love the United States of America as our founders intended it to be, please come to Free People of America. Please let us help you get involved one day a year. You go to caucuses, you become a delegate, and we start to endorse people that love this country. It's just that simple. It's really not complicated at all. It's just that simple. That's it. That's it. We've got to get good people involved. In the meantime, in the meantime, while we're going about our thing, just trying to think about getting to the get ready, because we're barely in the get ready, let's take a look at Climate Week and look how organized the people that have gone over to the other side are and how they've merged all these ideas we've been talking about into one big push 
called Climate Change. Put up this Climate Week piece, and we'll talk our way through it a little bit. This is in New York City a couple of weeks ago. Well, these people are in the streets protesting. That's what we need to end the war in the Ukraine, protest. But what these people want to do is end fossil fuels so we deindustrialize. And look what they're doing here. This is kind of an ethnography. People are dressed up in indigenous costumes because the psychologists and the PhDs who have put this together have linked colonialization and climate change together. So we're merging the idea of social equity and climate justice. How efficient it is to take two issues and make it one. So by addressing fossil fuels in the climate crisis, we can also handle the social equity issue. And that's exactly what they intend to do. Make everybody super poor, because that's going to take care of all of the previous inequities caused by the colonialist period. Look at all these people. Look at them in the streets. Why can't American citizens go in the streets to protest? I mean, these people are protesting the climate, and there's a nuclear bomb waiting for them. How dumb is this? They're putting all this energy into a threat as we're going to see in a minute, that's completely contrived. It's a contrived threat. And there's a real threat that they're not addressing. How about a peace sign in here, kids? But no, the real problem is not the military-industrial complex. It's not on the verge of war. It's a manufactured climate crisis. Not that we don't have environmental problems. We do. This is a mass distraction. And Amazon crude. In foreign languages. Oh, a native headdress. Look at this. All the issues collapsed into one issue. Climate, catastrophe, and social equity together. Oh, and look who's going to come up here and address the crowd. President Biden, to the U.N. General Assembly, to, to, to all 
officials that we demand to change. It will happen now. It begins today. It is occurring today. And it's because of you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Keep marching. That's good. You know, this audience, I mean, it's a little bit like preaching in the choir. I mean, it's she's just blatantly saying communism. And what does communism mean? Lots of things. But to me personally, it means I'm poor. And I know I'm being impoverished because I'm in the business community and they're making me poor. Very easy to make people poor. Very easy. And what's so angering about it for me is that everybody's wearing a business suit and we allegedly have Republicans and Democrats and they're allegedly maintaining our republic. And that is a scam. They are not. They are not maintaining it. Because, you know, if you're in the Congress and you went in with, oh, I don't know, $185,000 in net worth, and after six years you're worth $20 million, and you survive a nuclear blast, and you're eating, you're eating good no matter what happens, because, you know, you're one of the elect. The elect did. They don't care about what happens to me or to you or to your kid. They don't care. And then every once in a while, someone will stand up and start to tell the truth. So before we leave this climate thing and get into the current events, Speaker McCarthy's end, here's a piece from Patrick Moore. He is the founder of Greenpeace Canada. You cannot get any more environmentally concerned than Greenpeace. This guy's uh, older. He's seen it come and go. Listen to what he has to say, AOC, and the thousands of protesters, which, of course, they're going to they're gonna say the guy sold out or he's a kook, but the guy actually founded Greenpeace. This will be very interesting for everybody. Well, some people say if you don't believe in climate change, all you have to do is look out the window. So I don't know what they're seeing that I'm not seeing. But it, it's, you know, either it's sunny or it's raining or it's cold or it's warm. Uh, and if you think that proves that a disaster is happening in the world's climate, then you're deluding yourself because there, there is nothing really that radical happening. Again, they said it was the hottest year in the history of the earth the other day. And, and it's not. That's just period a lie. The whole climate alarmism, climate catastrophe is 100% untrue. Wow. In other words, it's untrue, but what it really is, is a diversion. It's taking all of the young people, like my beautiful daughter who called me and told me to make climate a little more central to what we're doing. And yes, we do have tremendous environmental problems that are against the health of the American people that we can fix. But is the world coming to an end over climate? It's not. It's coming to an end over artificial intelligence, which is the brainchild of the military-industrial complex. And they're just running the bill up doing this. We're $33 trillion in debt. So we've had a great unscripted event because it really is all about the money. This whole thing's about the money because with money goes power. And frankly, in the old days and probably still today, you have the money and the power, you have the right to breed. It's just as crude as that. 
And we had Speaker McCarthy was deposed. I think all of you know that. And uh, Matt Gates stood up and took a stand. And uh, it was unscripted. It was actually the first unscripted political event in my entire life. We've had unscripted historical events like the financial crisis of 2008, but the uni party's response to it was completely predictable. It was theater. Most of what I've seen in my life up till this event has been a theater performance trying to get me to believe that there's two parties, that I have a choice between Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, progressives, I mean, all these labels, they're all the same. There's one party, one, and they act in lockstep with jackboots, and we've lost our freedom, and we've lost our safety, and they're marching us right into death. And somebody stood up. His name's Matt Gates, a congressman from Florida, and he understood, he understood that with a handful of people, like a band of Spartans, like my godmother used to say to me, she used to say, David, one with God is a majority. I thought, what do you mean, Georgine? Well, we saw it. Eight people that understood the dynamics of the uni party brought down a speaker. It's never happened before in American history. And how did they do it? They knew that the Democrats would have to vote against McCarthy to maintain the scam they're running on their constituents because they're making their constituents hate Republicans as Trumpers, as American firsters, as fascists, and as Nazis. So they really couldn't come up and say, well, we're going to vote for McCarthy because we like him because that would blow their cover. So Gates knew that. He knew that they would vote in lockstep against him, and he knew the entire Republican caucus would vote for him except he had his little band of intrepid pioneers. And they brought forth something that we've never seen before. And I just want to read for you what they're saying about, um, what they're saying about uh, Matt Gaetz. This is hilarious. This is a quote from the Wall Street Journal, which is a comic book business people. And I've got some very good friends that read this religiously and they watch this podcast. So I'm going to tell you, burn that son of a bitch because it's a propaganda rag. It has nothing to do with what needs to happen to protect the lives of your children. It is there to protect the uni party. It is not a conservative newspaper. It is not a progressive newspaper. It's a globalist newspaper. And The globalist of globalists, Karl Rove, you might know his name. He was the political advisor and strategist for George W. Bush. And I always like to say, did you vote for him? Did you vote for George W.? Well, if you did, you voted for him because uh, Karl Rove got in your head. Well, here's what Karl Rove had to say about Matt Gaetz. Matt Gaetz is an egotistical nihilist. He wants to burn things down, including the party to which he belongs so that he gets more attention. He has no governing vision. He denies the reality of what's possible 
with the bare GOP margin in the House and Democratic control of the Senate and White House. Mr. Gates is all about himself, focusing on cable TV appearances, social media posts, and urgent email appeals for campaign funds in one of the safest Republican districts. He and the rest of his gang are parasites. Though some required millions from House GOP coffers to get elected, none have raised much of anything for the party's effort to keep the majority. Now they've helped defenestrate its most effective congressional fundraiser. It's all about them, not about the team, the team being the uni party. Oh, and yes, Mr. Gates is fundraising off the vote, saying the rest of House Republicans are rhinos who, quote, grovel and bend the knee for the lobbyists and special interests. That's how the uni party is painting Matt Gates, an opportunist, an egotist, a nihilist, that it was a personal conflict between him and McCarthy. There's an ethics investigation about him, which they're hanging over his head, and that it was all personal. Well, let's listen to what Matt Gates had to say in the well of the Congress before McCarthy was voted out. Gates on McCarthy under number five. Mr. Speaker, my friend from Oklahoma says that my colleagues and I who don't support Kevin McCarthy would plunge the House and the country into chaos. Chaos is Speaker McCarthy. Chaos is somebody who we cannot trust with their word. The one thing that the White House, House Democrats, and many of us on the conservative side of the Republican caucus would argue is that the thing we have in common, Kevin McCarthy said something to all of us at one point or another that he didn't really mean and never intended to live up to. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. I think $33 trillion in debt is chaos. I think that facing a $2.2 trillion annual deficit is chaos. I think that not passing single-subject spending bills is chaos. I think the fact that we have been governed in this country since the mid-90s by continuing resolution and omnibus is chaos. And the way to liberate ourselves from that is a series of reforms to this body that I would hope would outlast Speaker McCarthy's time here, would outlast my time here, and would outlast either of our majorities. Reforms that I have heard some of the most conservative members of this body uh, fight for, and some of the reforms that we've been battling for that I've even heard those in the Democrat caucus say would be worthy and helpful to the House. How do you like that? He's speaking up against uh, the robbery that's going on. He's saying that the way we govern our country, the way our elected officials have governed our country since the mid-90s, that'd be the Clinton period, it'd be Clinton and George W. and Barack, and then we had a little break, maybe, not quite sure, with President Trump, because he ran the debt up $6.7 trillion. The way we've been governing the country is leading us into chaos which is exactly what I've been trying to say and share with you, my audience and my viewers. I know capital markets. We're going over the cliff on this deal. And he stood up and he said, look, I'm taking this guy out, and he's not doing it out of ego. He's not doing it because he's a nihilist. He's not doing it because he's self-aggrandizing or trying to raise money. He's doing it to get us to be aware 
that we're on the verge of losing our currency and our financial solvency as the American people. He's trying to raise our consciousness. They're probably, in the next couple weeks, going to either strip him of all of his committee assignments and make him a potted plant there, or, with a two-thirds vote, vote him completely out of the House. I mean, deplatform him. Take away his elected, I mean, the voters of his district elected him, and now the Congress people will very likely, I'll probably be here in two or three weeks, we'll see if I'm right. They'll probably throw him out. Why? Because he's getting in the way of the scam. He's actually a man of principle. Spends a lot of time on the war room. I'm sure you've seen him there. He really is a darling of the alternative conservative movement of which we are trying to build. And what is that movement? American citizens that want borders, want a country, do not want global governance, and want to have an economy that is intact so what we work for stays in our pocket. We want to address the issues that have created the chaos that has become the United States of America. And Gates knows that what they're going for is a destruction of the currency through debt. They're using debt as a weapon against freedom. Because you're a debt slave, right? Freedom comes with being solvent. Nobody said anybody has to be rich. It's not, you know, I'm not saying people have to go out and chase money, but every one of us is two or three hundred thousand dollars in debt at thirty-three trillion, and that debt is projected to be fifty trillion dollars in twenty thirty. And how they're gonna keep up with this is they're just gonna keep inflating the currency by printing more cash. And eventually there'll be so much so much cash. It will become worthless. And central banks around the world are starting to admit that central bank digital currencies are a new currency regime to replace what we have today. And that will mean, let's say you have $200,000 saved up in your 401k. And you're going to wake up one day and the bank is going to say, up, bail in, we're taking your money. But in return, we're going to give you a universal basic income on your phone. And if you do exactly what we f-ing tell you to do, you can eat. Now, for those of you who think I'm extreme, it's like purple rain. You got to see it for yourself. You got to research it for yourself. You've got to listen with ears that can hear. and You got to look with eyes that can see. And if you're not ready to hear and you're not ready to see, you, you're not going to tune back into me because you think I'm nuts. But I'm here to tell you, every one of you, I'm seeking the truth. I would like to be wrong. How will I be wrong? One day a year. One day a year in Minnesota to become a delegate and endorse candidates that love God, love country, and love family. That's all we need. One day a year. And if you're not willing to do it, and if I'm not willing to do that, then we get what we deserve because we don't give a shit. And I try not to swear, but this is so incredibly terrifying that we're, we're living through this and we don't have citizen engagement. The only way we're going to do this is if we talk one to another. And our elected leaders, our elected leaders don't care about us 
They care about themselves. Let me give you some interesting facts. Kevin McCarthy, our newly deposed Speaker of the House, net worth $45 million on a salary of $192,000 a year. He inherited $150,000. He has $9 million cash in the bank. He spends $175,000 a month on living his life. Now, I'm a business person, and I look at that. I inherited $150,000. My salary is $192,000 a year, and I'm worth $45 million. Boy, I'm a very good investor, because to me, that sounds impossible. But my goodness gracious, he's not alone. Let's talk about some of our founding fathers. You know, not to get down on them, but just to say how this game's gotten played. George Washington. His adjusted net worth for inflation, $525 million. Hey, George, business was good. We're not communists after all. Business was good for George. Thomas Jefferson, $212 million in today's terms. Theodore Roosevelt, $125 million. John F. Kennedy would have been worth $124 million in today's money. Andrew Jackson, $119 million. James Madison, $101 million. I'm going to give you a few more of these people because it's very representative of what's going on in our Congress. Michael Bloomberg, mayor of New York, he's worth $54 billion. Nelson Rockefeller, there's a name you should know. $1 billion. He was the governor of New York. Okay. John Kerry, our climate envoy, right now today. It's worth $200 million. Don't you trust him? Doesn't he have a lot in common with you? I mean, hey, you and I are trying to figure out how we're going to eat next month, and this guy's flying around the world in his private jet, which he doesn't admit to, and he's worth $200 million. Oh, Mitt Romney, Brother Mitt. Brother Mitt, and he's not my brother. I'm sorry, Mitt Romney. You're the most disgusting uniparty rhino of them all. He's worth $250 million. $250 $250 million. Hey, politics is a good business, a very good business. Remember Al Gore? Remember Al Gore? The climate change, you know, chief. He was the chief. He was leading the charge. Worth $100 million. $100 million. J.B. Pritzker, the current governor of Chicago. The current governor of Chicago. Not Chicago, Illinois. Please excuse me. I think of how poor Chicago is and what impoverished lives the the Chicagoans are living with all this crime and violence. And they're being ruled over by a guy worth $3.5 billion. I'm sure he understands their lives. $3.5 billion. His sister, Penny Pritzker, she was the uh, Department of Commerce secretary under President Obama. She's worth $2.5 billion. Are you getting the picture here? For us Minnesotans, remember Governor Mark Dayton? He's worth $1.6 billion. Isn't that great? Doug Burgum, he's running for uh, president on the Republican side, North Dakota governor. He's worth $1.1 billion. Got a lot in common with me, Doug. Love to meet you. You're surely going to relate to my problems. Wilbur Ross, Secretary of Commerce under 
President Trump. It's worth $600 million. Not very successful. Compared to these guys, it's kind of a bum. It's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Here you go. I like this one. Gina Raimondo. She's the current Secretary of Commerce. She's kind of a bum, too. She's only worth $300 million. What the hell's wrong, Gina? Can't you make any money? What a loser. Steve Mnuchin, remember him? Secretary of the Treasury. Another bum, only worth $300 million. Rick Scott, governor of Florida. Another loser, $255 million. Mark Warner, one of the greatest Democrat senators who's leading the charge to take away all of our freedom. $243 million. Hey, I guess he doesn't have to worry about what happens next, does he? Getting the picture here? I'm getting the picture. You know, Professor Penn's thinking about running for Congress. <laughs> what a business. What a business. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Governor of California. Uh, another loser. $200 million. Of course, he got divorced. That hurt him. This is a business. Now, there's nothing wrong with making money. I'm not a communist. But if you use your public office to join the club, like let's say you went to Congress and you made $100 million because you wrote a book and you got all these speaking engagements and you maintained your sacred honor because who God blesses no man can curse. That's great. But if you make that money and you join the club and you forget about the people and the well-being every American citizen, then damn you. Because you have lost your humanity. You have lost your faith in God. Your faith is now in your own cult of your own personality. You know, you actually think that money came from your brilliance. You want to know something? That's the trap. You know, the wise man knows that if he has money, he got it from heaven above. And he has thanksgiving and gratefulness and prayer and gives charity and kindness. And he's humble because the wise man knows his riches are a gift from God. And he uses his gifts, the gifts that he got from God, to help his people. I have a very good friend of mine, uh, first name Joe, I don't use last names, except for Mary Amlo, because. I was called out on that one, and she's running a scam. This is another one. She's running the Tea Party Patriots here in Minnesota. Another scammer. It's all about her, all about the money. Totally sold out to the Uni Party. That is not an indictment of Tea Party people or the Tea Party generally in the country. I'm talking about one person here in Minnesota, and I wouldn't even know that she was this way if she didn't start hating on me without knowing me. I mean, she blew her cover. Not a very good player. Very weak. But beyond that, I want every one of you, if you seek the kingdom of God and you seek a relationship with the divine, and for some reason God decides that you or I should have resources and we maintain our faith and we use those resources in ways that are beautiful and kind and uplifting and ennobling, and we remember where we came from, which is from the dust, and from where we will return, which is to the dust. 
and we, we, we protect our spirit and our soul at all times and don't sell out to the material world, that's great. But what we've got is a Congress full of people that are there cashing in and selling out. And this, we the people must change. This, we the people can change. And this, we the people, requires us to get involved. From time to time, we have to get involved. That probably was the mistake, the time-to-time thing. Actually, we always have to be involved through our own self-governance. When we don't self-govern, what we get is military-industrial candidates and military-industrial complex propaganda. Tanner, can you pop up this uh, uh, X piece with um, CNN? Let's just set this next stage about the military-industrial complex and their candidates and their propaganda. It's worthwhile with all of this gaining, you know, some steam and public perception, to be clear, and some facts. First and foremost, the vast majority of this money is going to American companies and jobs, uh, right? Because those are the people who are making the Abrams tanks, the ammo, and everything else. And we take Lockheed Martin, which makes the HIMARS that have been core to Ukraine's counteroffensive. The company announced it's going to increase its workforce in Camden, Arkansas, by 20% just because of this new demand. That money's going to America. It's just unbelievable, okay? Such a beautiful face, and she's sitting there. What, she, what her theory of the case is, is, is almost chokes me up. Hey, you know, this is great. Let's buy all these weapons of war because, you know, American companies are profiting from this, and American workers are earning money doing this, and this is what our country is based on, and aren't we great? This is CNN. CNN where we go for our news, the most trusted source in news. And who are they fronting for? Well, that military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower was warning us about because since the time of Eisenhower, the military-industrial complex has broadened its scope and reach infinitely. He could never imagine where we would be at today. And it's allied with the media-industrial complex and the medical-industrial complex and the university and college industrial complex, and Hollywood, and this whole thing is functioning together to put us to sleep so that we're not riding herd on these people. Any one of these politicians that have sold out, if we, the American people, would go into our neighborhood and become involved in our party and become delegates, oh, then they'd be afraid they were going to lose their job in show business because they have to be endorsed to run again. But when we don't show up, when the only people in the parties are ex-military people who have been put into the parties to make sure that the military-industrial complex is never challenged, which is why they hate me and threaten me up here. They hate me and threaten me because I know the scam. This is a death cult. A death cult. I won't participate. I'm going to go out tomorrow and hold a peace sign up and protest the war. If I'm there by myself, I'm going to do it. We've got to get into the streets and protest these people. Why? They're going to kill me. I'm asking you. I want to live. I have five children. Please help me. Please protest these people. I didn't say be violent. I didn't say swear. I didn't say get in anybody's grill. Stand there silently with a peace sign. 
That's all it takes. This is an information war, fifth generation combat that is for the minds of the people. And there's so few of us that understand it. But look what Matt Gates did with eight people. He toppled the uni party's boy. Kevin McCarthy was a hired hand for 45 million bucks. Pretty good work, right? I'm going to give up my principles. I'm going to give up my soul. I'm going to give up honesty and truth. And for 45 million bucks, I'm a sellout. Hey, do you think he cares that he lost it? Yeah, it hurt for a little bit. He's going to go home and count his money. I want to swear. I'm just going to go on. This whole scam is based on the valor and heroism of young men who are willing to die for this country. They're too young to understand these issues. If people my age were asked to fight wars, there'd be no wars. Zero. But get Tanner to go in your generation. You guys have no idea what's going on. And for $45,000 a year and paid for college, and if you stay in long enough for 20 years, lifetime, everything, hey, pretty good deal, isn't it? Great deal. Okay, so let's look at what happens when anybody jumps up and speaks against our military because this whole scam of the military-industrial complex and all the associated scams, the medical, the universities, the entertainment, the media, they're all one group of assholes. It's all on the backs of young men and women who die defending their notion of patriotism. Play this piece on suckers and losers, please. There's a furious reaction today after claims that President Trump called fallen American heroes losers and suckers. A Twitter page titled, Not a Loser, is trending. My grandfather was killed by a landmine while freeing Europe, one veteran's family writes. He was 29. He was neither a sucker nor a loser. My dad served during Vietnam. Not only did he serve, he volunteered. Most definitely not a loser. Former Army Airborne Ranger, Bronze Star recipient, deceased, my brother, not a loser. The uproar comes after a new Atlantic Magazine report about President Trump's visit to France in 2018 to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. Trump was scheduled to pay his respects at a venerated U.S. military cemetery where more than 2,000 American servicemen are buried. But he bailed out. The reason given at the time was that rain had grounded Trump's helicopter and the Secret Service did not want him traveling by motorcade. His then chief of staff, John Kelly, a retired general, attended a wreath laying instead. The Atlantic now claims Trump told his senior staff, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. It also says Trump referred to the fallen soldiers as suckers for getting killed. It's a fake story and it's a disgrace that they're allowed to do it. A fuming president denied the claims today. It was a terrible thing that somebody could say the kind of things, and especially to me, because I've done more for the military than almost anybody else. The Atlantic reporting is based on four cowardly anonymous sources who probably do not even exist. Meanwhile, within hours, 10 sources, 10, went on the record debunking these lies. I stand by my reporting. Uh, I have multiple sources telling me this is what happened. And uh, so I stand by it. Joe Biden pounced on the report today. If these statements are true, the president should humbly apologize 
to every gold star mother and father and every blue star family that he's denigrated and insulted. Who the heck does he think he is? Ooh. Joe just sorry to cut you off, but did he really just say if he didn't do it, he should apologize? What kind of logic is that? Apologize if you didn't do it. Well, if you didn't do it, dude, just apologize then. I, you know, like, that makes no sense. The whole point of the thing is that they're using young people as a shield and a cover for a phenomenal business of empire. And we are paying for it. I'm a debt slave. I, Professor Penn, your humble servant, and I am humble, and I am trying to serve this audience. I'm impoverished by this. I mean, impoverished, and I deal with the government, and they're cruel. I mean, I deal with the government every day. I'm a business person, and they're uncompromisingly cruel, and they're just wearing me down. And that's what they're about, is making me feel like, just making me feel terrible to be alive because I have to deal with these people. They don't care. I'm trying as hard as I can. I employ a lot of people. I mean, hundreds of people. I employ people. I pay my bills. I, I pay my taxes. We're totally straight. Not good enough, Professor Penn. Pay us. I mean, you can bleep this one out because it's one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, which was Goodfellas. And there's a great scene in Goodfellas where uh, uh, someone owes the mafia money and uh, he can't pay. And the voiceover says, hey, something like this, I'm going to paraphrase. You know, you're sick, you pay me. Got cancer, you pay me. Your father died, you pay me. That's how the government goes. You can bleep all those out, but this is how they treat an American citizen who's trying to do the right thing every day because I'm funding an empire and they never have enough money because they view me as working for them. I am no longer free. You are no longer free. The only way we can, the only way we can be free is to completely disconnect out of the system and self-govern in the woods. And I'm going to tell you, I think about doing it. I talked to a friend of mine, uh, who lives in Texas, we're very good friends. He's my brother. And I mean, I actually talked to him about just moving down there, living off the land. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a fantasy. You know, I've, I mean, I've, I own some land here. I'm working in my, my, my land every weekend, and I'm building up the skills to do it, to disconnect. It's still a fantasy because I like my convenience. I like my safety. I'm just like you. We're taking the benefits of empire. But they're killing us with those benefits. And I see it. And if you see it, you'll let me know in the live chat. And I hope all of us can see it. Because it's a game of, it's fifth generation combat. It is an information war. So when Matt Gates takes out Speaker McCarthy and they call him everything they can, he's a nihilist, opportunist, they are accusing him of sexual crimes and drug crimes and all kinds of things. Or when they take President Trump and say that he's calling the military dead, suckers and losers. Anyone who questions the narrative of the military-industrial complex is degraded with great ferocity. Great ferocity. And we're all risking that. And if we're in this moment, we know it. 
But what do we got to lose? I mean, these people are insane. They're really, truly insane. Let me show you how insane it really is. Can you play this piece, Two Minutes, The Three Amigos? Look at these people love each other. Look at these people love each other. Take a good look at the uni party. Joe, I'm proud of you. Uh, and you and Kamala uh, need to know that you've got all of us here rooting for your success, keeping you in our prayers. Uh, and we will be available in any ways that we can as citizens to, uh, to help you guide our country forward. Uh, we wish you Godspeed. Uh, I'm pulling for your success. Your success is our country's success, and God bless you. I'm glad you're there, and I wish you well. You have spoken for us today. Now you will lead for us, and we're ready to march with you. Good luck. God bless you. Well, I think uh, the fact that the three of us are standing here talking about a peaceful transfer of power speaks to the uh, in institutional integrity of our country. So this is an unusual thing. We are both trying to come back to normalcy, deal with totally abnormal challenges, and do what we do best, which is try to make a more perfect union. It's an exciting time. We've got to not just listen to folks we agree with, but listen to folks we don't. Uh, and you know, one of my fondest memories of the inauguration was uh, the, the grace and generosity that President Bush showed me and Laura Bush showed Michelle. And it was a reminder that we can have fierce disagreements uh, and yet recognize each other's common humanity and that as Americans, uh, we have more in common than what separates us. I think if uh, Americans would uh, love their neighbor like they would like to be loved themselves, uh, a, a lot of the division in our society would end. That's what this means. It's a new beginning. And everybody needs to get off their high horse and reach out to their friends and neighbors and try to make it possible. That was the three amigos at the moment of uh, President Biden's inauguration. I particularly enjoyed George W. talking about the great commandment to love your neighbor as you'd like your neighbor to love you while we're pursuing a giant war in the Ukraine and we're on the verge of war in the South China Sea and there's all this inequity going on at the border and we're fighting in Syria and on and on and on. It's all BS. BS. Look at them all together. Clinton, Bush, Obama. If you voted for Barack Obama and you thought you were voting for a progressive populist, you were scammed. And if you voted for George W. Bush and you thought you were voting for a conservative Republican, you were scammed. These three people are the same. Uniparty. One party. There is only the illusion of choice until we, the people, go into these parties and create a real dichotomy. And that dichotomy is we're going to have a country and we're going to be American citizens or we're going to give over to global governance and be slaves to a global architecture. There's really no in-between because the people that are running this show don't want there to be an in-between. Kind of like being kind of pregnant. There's no kind of pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. We're either going to have a country or we're going to live in a global governance. We, the people, have to make that choice 
today, right now, if you want to have a country, you're going to have to go with me into the political process and defend your rights as an American citizen. No one else can do it but us. There's no cavalry coming. There's no politician going to show up and do this. Watch now. We're going to watch what they do to Matt Gates. Watch what they do to Matt Gates. Anyone that stands up without, without us, without we the people backing up their play, is going to get cut down. They don't fear the people. We fear the government. This is completely backwards. In our Constitution, in our Bill of Rights, our governance is set up so that our elected officials are to fear the people. But I'm afraid of my government. I know they're surveilling me. I'm tired. They're fighting me. They're lying about me. They're taking, I mean, I have to deal with governmental actions taken against me. Unjust. But what is justice? Justice is what we make it. What we make it. We, the people, determine what justice is, not people from on high. Our technocrats, our experts have abandoned us. We are alone with our faith. But as my godmother Georgine said to me, and I really truly never understood it fully, I'm still working on it, but to this day, one with God as a majority, she didn't mean just me. She meant us. One with God is a majority. She meant us. We can and we will, our will to survive and to be free can prevail. One day a year, one day a year is your freedom worth one day a year to you. I leave you with that question. I hope I get some sleep over the weekend. I hope I was lucid today. I'm not sure that I was. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. To Alfa Romeo, I hope you come back. I enjoy the argument. I listen to every one of you. We're a community. We're a family. Some of the people came in the chat and said, how can so few people be listening to Professor Penn? That was very gratifying. How do we change that? Bring your friends and neighbors. Let's work together to maintain the United States of America. Thank you very much.